Yenacast, 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 Yenacast. Hi everyone, my name is Nicholas Harvey. I'm the Head of Science um, here at Siena College. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I work and pay my respects to the elders past and present. Um, today I've got the great pleasure of um, speaking with Dr. Hayden Dalton, who's a geologist and associate lecturer, lecturer in geochemistry and AGN data scientist at the School of Geography, Earth and Atmospheric Sciences, the Faculty of Science at the University of Melbourne. That's a big, that's a mouthful. It's quite a mouthful. Yeah. Um, welcome Hayden, it's great to have you on board. Thank you. Um, Hayden's actually visiting the college um, to present to our Year 7 science classes um, who are currently learning about rocks, about geology, about the rock cycle um, and he's coming in to share um, some of his um, expertise, um, some of the uh, artefacts from his uh, laboratory um, and also to tell us a little bit about his research. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a, tell us a bit more. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's good to be here. Um, so I did my undergraduate degree in New Zealand, and that's a place where we have lots of volcanoes, lots of earthquakes. Um, and so growing up, I was always kind of fascinated about the world around me. I guess geology wasn't really a thing at high school for me, but when I got to uni, I kind of enjoyed learning about the world around us and how it's evolved through... Um, you know, long periods and also what explains the earthquakes and volcanoes that are, that are happening in, you know, my home country. Um, and so, yeah, I did my, my degree in geography and geology in New Zealand. And then I ended up doing a PhD, uh, in Melbourne over the last uh, three or four years. Um, and that PhD focused on the geochemistry. So the chemistry of the rocks, um, but in particular looking at volcanoes that carry diamonds. Wow. So not everyone knows, but uh, all diamonds that we have in the jewel store or um, on your uh, fiance's diamond rings, they come from volcanoes. That's how we get them to the surface. Wow. Which is pretty cool. Um, That's a great so, trivia answer there. <laughs> yeah. So so my PhD research focus on those volcanoes because they're very unique and, and very rare. Um, I've changed tact a little bit now. So now I, I work in um, East Africa and I look at volcanic rocks there because Africa is drifting apart. Eventually the Horn of Africa will probably rift all the way off and it'll separate. I'm looking at volcanic eruptions that have occurred um, because of that. Um, and they also contain some really interesting fossils uh, in the lavas as well, which is pretty cool. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. Um, what, what sort of time scales are we talking there with the Horn of Africa drifting off? Um, oh, it'll, it'll be millions and millions and millions of years. Um, I think at the moment it's probably separating a little bit faster than our fingernails grow. Okay. So sort of on the scale of millimeters to centimeters per year. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be a long time until okay, that happens. So, okay. Yeah. It's not going to thing, interfere with your research. Too things much. happen over a long time scale in, in geology, um, which requires some patience, but also makes it interesting because we, we try and sort of back calculate what, what's already happened. So we go back through the past and, you know, we, we, we can now say that um, Australia was once in the, in the Southern Pole. So where Antarctica is now, Australia was also there. We could say Australia was, was once at the equator. And so all these we, these tools we have going back through deep time, we kind of also apply to the future to see how things might change with time as well. Wow, that sounds yeah. really fascinating. 
Um, can you tell me a little bit more about those sort of tools, like in a way that you know um, we can understand? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how, how do you mean you're, you're you're dating things that far back or predicting things that far in the future? So when we we date things, we apply um, different geochemical uh, techniques. So mm-hmm. different um, elements. They kind of so for example, uranium or um, there's an element called rubidium just a fancy name for an element, but what's really important about them is that they start to decay. So just like if you tip over an hourglass, the sand starts falling out of the, the hourglass. The same things happen with elements inside the rocks. So when that, when that rock forms, um, when the volcano erupts, that element starts to decay. The sand starts falling out of it like an hourglass. And so as it decays, it makes something new. It's called a, goes from a, a um, appearance to a daughter. And so that daughter product is actually what we can measure in our labs. And we know how long it takes to decay from one parent to one daughter element. And so once we have our rock on our hands, we can we can crush it up and we can dissolve it and we can analyze it with our very expensive um, machines. And then we get um, this ratio of, of elements. And because we know how fast things decay, we then get an age. So for example, the rocks in my PhD um, that were from Finland, these diamond-carrying volcanoes, they were between 550 and 1 billion years. So 550 million to to 1 billion years old. And it's all through this, the supplying chemical techniques to natural samples. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah. That makes it's, it's a lot more clear when you put it like that. Yeah, but I'm sure there is a there's a lot, lot to, it. to it. But that's that's the, the bones of it, for sure. Interesting. Um, you've talked about a, a few different types of rocks in a few different places. Yeah. Um. As a geologist, do you feel that there are like particular, uh, do, do geologists have particular interests in one area only? Like, do you, how do you, do you communicate with all geologists or just mm. more researchers in your own specific niche? I would, I would definitely say that we have um, our niches. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I teach into um, the part of our degree that focuses on um, volcanic derived rocks and their chemistry. Whereas some of my colleagues might talk more about fossils or um, rocks that derive from sediment. Those, those are kind of the broad niches. And so you kind of research in a niche, but we definitely communicate across um, across those niches because the earth is like one big system. And so, you know, the rocks that come from a volcano that I look at eventually become sediment or sand on the beach. And so the, the rock cycle, you know, so we have to communicate across that to understand all of earth's history. Mm-hmm. I think that's why, you know, at the at the school level, it gets taught in that way because it's so important to understand it's a system, always changing. Um, and so, yeah, I think when you go to a conference, you'll have your little pockets of your discipline. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, you do want to try and c- communicate in a way that your colleagues across those niches can can kind of engage with mm-hmm. and potentially collaborate. Okay. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you're heading off on an adventure next yeah. week off to Kenya. Can you I tell am. us a little bit more about, about that? Yeah. So is that, is that a common thing for you to, to just travel internationally for, for research? I think, I mean, now it is now that we can travel again. Um, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of geology is, is done not just in Australia, but across the world. So, you know, some of the things that we find in this country, we might want to verify our theory by going somewhere else in the world and making sure that the same thing is observed. So definitely lots of travel. Um, 
I would say it's common for my colleagues and I to spend at least a month somewhere else wow. doing research in the field or even in other labs or going to a conference. So after I go to Kenya, I'm going to, to Lyon in France to talk about my research with the international community to share what I've found. Um, but the reason that we're going to Kenya is because this place is very unique in that um, it records over 300 eruptions in one location. So this, this place has been subject to eruption after eruption over four or five million years. And within those layers, like I said before, there's layers of ash and, and lava, um, there are fossil remains. And so it's really hard to date the bones themselves. So what we do is we date the rocks, the volcanic eruptions. Yeah. And so we tell the archaeologists that this eruption occurred 2.1 million years ago. Therefore, their bones they found must be about the same age. Wow. And that's really important for understanding you know, what was living there and, and why and how did that thing change across a certain um, time period. So that, so that we kind of collaborate with archaeologists, anthropologists, as well as just the other people who are looking at the volcanic rocks um, too. Okay. So we're lucky that we work with a lot of the local Kenyan community. They come in the field with us. Mm -hmm. um, definitely a partnership because we're on, you know, they're on their land um, and they're very hospitable and they learn a lot because um, we go to remote parts of Kenya. We're talking um, right with the border of Ethiopia where there's no infrastructure, people living, I guess, in simple means. And so we take a tiny plane there and we, we um, spend our time with the local people working out where to go. They're kind of our guides because they can speak the language and they know where these volcanic rocks are. They're very knowledgeable without having done the same training that, that we've been through. They still know what to look for. Yeah, And so... I tell them, you know, I'm looking for pumice in a particular area. They say, oh, I know where that is, and we, they take us there. So it's a fantastic um, relationship. We're very fortunate to be able to to go there and to, you know, have four weeks in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, in my happy place, essentially looking at volcanic <laughs> rocks with some great people. So, But this this research project overall, the, the overarching, um, I guess, aims are run by a bigger institute mm -hmm. from with, with people from all over the world. Okay. So Europe and America... South America, literally well, every continent is represented in this research institute. Yeah. Um, but each person brings their own sort of tool mm -hmm. to the sort of bigger toolkit. Yeah. And so our thing is to go to the volcanic rocks and date them, where mm -hmm. someone might go on and look at the paleo environment and work out, was there a, um, a rainforest there? Mm -hmm. There must have been because a species is found. So everyone's got their own thing. And so ultimately how it, it works is when you apply for funding to go to these places, do this work, which is expensive, you sort of make your case. You say, I need this money to do this thing, and this is what I aim to find out. And so that kind of gives you your constraints. Mm -hmm. You take as much freedom as you want with your proposal, but it's got to get accepted. Yeah. And so you you know, when I make these cases or make these pitches to the to the funders, you want to make sure that what you're doing is interesting for for a broad audience, not just my tiny niche of the world. <laughs> and so that, that's part of the challenge, I think. Um and it's like I was speaking to the students today, your students, it's like, who cares about this stuff? Yeah. And so that's part of, um, I, I mean, I always think that research isn't done until it's communicated properly to a yeah. broad audience. Yeah. So that's, that's a challenge for, for rocks sometimes. Yeah. Um, they can, they can appear quite inanimate and quite yeah. lifeless. Yeah. How do you, how do you communicate what's actually going on there? You, you're saying that you've got these different specialists on these yeah. you know, research missions and you're you're each finding different bits how, how do you get that information out um 
I always picture um, myself at home trying to explain to my grandma. Yeah. You know, um, how how would she understand it and engage with that material? So it, it's definitely an experience thing. And I think I don't always get it right. And it takes, you know, a lot of practice to work out what level to, to pitch things in. So like year seven students today versus year 11 students tomorrow, how will I change what I talk about and how will they engage? Um, yeah, I think analogies definitely help. So that hourglass thing I talked about before for dating things, that that's one I've used before and that seems to help get the message across. So you, you kind of just look for ways that can make things more simple, but still keep that science element there. Uh, Cause that's, that, that integrity is still important. Mm. Yeah. Still on the, the, the big picture sort of thinking mm. here, how does your research, um, or does your research have any, um, any part to play in looking at, um, our, our climate and how that's changing over time? Like, is there any link between those two areas? Yeah. So there's a couple of, couple of links, one direct, one more, um, indirect, I suppose the direct link is that, um, what a lot of paleo environment or climate scientists try and do is they want to reconstruct past climate to inform what could happen in the future. And so what they often do is they go to lakes or even to the, to the ocean and they drill down and get these giant cores, mm -hmm. essentially, you know, meters and meters and meters of rock and silt and mud. And within those layers, there'll be different temperature records. So we can tell if it was a hot season, a cold season, there was a glacier for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And so in those same cores is the same ash I was talking about before. So these volcanoes were enormous. And so their ash and crystals get distributed over a, a broad range. And so to put an age on those climate records, we also help with that. And so let's say someone's found a, um, a record in their core log that says, you know, it was minus five degrees all over the world. And when did that occur? We can help them figure that out. So that's an indirect um, link, I suppose. And and I guess talking more about climate change as a challenge that we're facing on Earth now, I think geologists can help in that. We're pretty critical in finding the minerals and the metals we need to make green energy, mm -hmm. you know, so, that transition. so like wind turbines, electric cars, um, it's, a, it's definitely a challenge because we have to, to get from the ground. Yeah. And I think geologists and, and miners have got a bad rap yeah. for, for good reason, honestly, back through centuries of digging massive holes in the ground and not looking after the earth properly. Yeah. So it's something we've got to negotiate, um, as a, I guess, as a community, but also with the public too, to say, we can't stop mining right now because we've got to build a wind turbine mm -hmm. or a hydro dam or a, or a Tesla. Um, but students could look at that as the, there's op opportunities. That's their challenge. That's part of that transition. Yeah, absolutely. The next generation are facing a massive challenge about how do we extract what we need, but then look after the earth um, at the same time. A lot of a lot of it comes down to how you remediate. So once you're finished extracting the lithium for the battery or the copper for the electrodes, what do you do afterwards? How do you restore that to as close to how it was before as possible? It's obviously impossible to return back to the exact same state, but I think a lot of companies in the past, you know, this is hundreds of years ago, would just walk away and leave this giant scar in the earth. Yeah. And that's something that sort of tarnished, I think, geology in some way, unfortunately. But like, like you say, it's a challenge for the next generation to, to keep looking at this because they want to have 
their smartphones yeah and they, and they want to have giant tv screens and and whatever and these things all require stuff uh, from the ground mm-hmm. yeah i think you've um you've painted a pretty good picture of some of the many ways that geology um actually links into our everyday life that, yeah you know some of our listeners might not be um across so thank you with that um I guess looking at the the work in geology, do you, do you see that there's a lot of different roles for geologists in the future? Like you you described one there. Yeah, I, I do think so. And I think if you asked most high school students, people on the street, like what does a geologist do? And they'll probably just say mining look or at, look at rocks. Look at rocks. <laughs> Actually, I, I asked the year sevens this afternoon and the first hand that went up said, look at rocks, which is true. <laughs> it's not a lie, but we look at them for a reason. And so I've really been interested in um what my colleagues or my my classmates have done since they finished their degrees and, and the myriad things they get up to so a lot of them the ones that are based in melbourne for example do a lot of environmental consulting work yeah remediation work um engineering work because if you're going to build a giant building it's got to go into the earth and you've got to make sure that earth is stable and is strong enough to hold the structure um Quite a lot have gone into policy now as well, looking at hazard management. You know, we had an earthquake two weeks ago that woke yeah. me up in, in Coburg, you know, <laughs> and that's not expected for Melbourne or Australia. And so a lot of people are involved now in hazard management prediction, if you can predict these things. Um, how do we prepare our infrastructure for yeah. the next big thing? Um, of course, mining is a, is a massive employer of geologists, but it's definitely it's growing to be a broader field of you know environmental consulting engineering policy um obviously research is huge as well um, so yeah the, i think because you're understanding how the earth operates in a, a number of ways it can be applied to so many different problems and i think in the future there'll be a, a shortfall unfortunately because our student numbers aren't always massive because it's not taught at high school mm. and so a lot of people aren't exposed to the fact that geology is more than just looking at rocks full stop um <laughs> so you say <laughs> so i say yeah if you believe me so i think that's that's a challenge we face too is that because it's not part of that senior curriculum at school yeah. um people who are going into science aren't necessarily yeah it's not in the forefront of their mind yeah they'll, they'll enroll in a science degree which is fantastic and i encourage people to enroll in science degrees and they'll stumble across geology. Honestly, they'll take it in first year and be like, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And they love it and they, why and they carry it on. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I do this kind of thing, come to school and, and try and, I guess, share that message that it's a bit more than just looking at rocks, full stop. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I find that the students get engaged, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, it's a, it's a big job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So far, you've talked about some pretty exciting parts of the job. Yeah. Heading off to Kenya next week. What does your average day look like? What, what, what does a day where you're not, mm. you know, shooting off around the globe to go look at these volcanic mm-hmm. rocks, what, what does that look like as a research scientist? So for me, I would say I always have a whole day of teaching. It's pretty important for me that I involve in teaching. You don't have, it's not sort of mandatory, but I enjoy it. So definitely a day of the week would be giving my lecture for a couple of hours and then giving my my prac or my lab class for another couple of hours um so that's that's one day knocked off um i think a lot of what i do outside of that is either writing my publications so writing papers for colleagues to read or um people in the 
geoscience community to read. What would you say for our students? How, how might a CNS student know if she wants to become a geoscientist? What are some signs? Um, I think for me, it was, it was a curiosity about the natural environment. So, you know, going for a walk or going for a hike as a, as a, as a kid or going on school camp, you know, I went to some great places in New Zealand on, on school camps as a year eight, year seven student. And I was like, you know, how did this thing get here kind of thing? Maybe that's unique. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> it's a niche, <laughs> but also I, I think just enjoying learning in the outdoors also struck me. Mm. I liked having the context, you know, I've been, I'm being taught about how mountains form and the mountains right in front of me, yeah. you know, that, that learning the field was, was definitely something I was, um, excited about. And I just like being in the outdoors more broadly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say it's, uh, you know, if there was an earthquake two weeks ago, if, if you got curious about why that occurred, how it occurred, that's a good sign. Okay. Cause a lot of science behind that. And, um, some of the students were asking before, like, why was there an earthquake? where there was and that wasn't actually expected it's kind of mm. we don't think about melbourne as being a shaky place no, but in the last couple of years there's been some some decent ones yeah. so that's up to them to decide in the future it's their challenge okay so if there's a bit of curiosity there about any of yeah. those sorts of things they should definitely maybe have a bit more of a look yeah i think in terms of being part of the the school curriculum physical geography is a great sort of lead in that, that touches on some of the same same themes I think about, I think physical geography is a little bit like, um, geology for the young part of the earth. Yeah. So it's more contemporary themes. So what's happened in the recent times, whereas geology applies much of a similar, uh, much of the same concepts, but just back through time. Yeah. Um, that might offend some geographers, um, <laughs> but that's sort of how I looked at it when I was studying it. Yeah. They're quite complementary. Okay. Yeah. Sort of overlapping. Areas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much to, um, for today, Dr. Um, Hayden. It's uh, been a pleasure. Been a pleasure to hear about your research. No worries. Um, and about all the the the, cra the crazy things that you're getting up to. Um, good luck with your trip to Kenya next week. Thank you. I hope that goes smoothly. Um, and we, we'd love to have you back to talk to more of our um, our junior classes. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Yenacast. 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 Yenacast.